listening to Cruise Control with Randy Cruz. This is the voice of the New World Order. N-W-O. And Neil Pruitt's Secrets of WCW Nitro. Graham Matthews, Bleacher Report, the host of Russell Rant Radio. He's on Twitter at Russell Rant. Graham, what's up, my man? How you doing? Doing great, Randy. As always, looking forward to be back here in the podcast. So I'll see this Sunday, our third pay-per-view in the matter of six weeks. Can you believe that? Holy shit. But I'm looking forward to talking about it nonetheless. Hey, man, there's a pay-per-view every two weeks. Um, I'm not sure. We'll, we'll probably get a month. Uh, free time from TLC to Survivor Series, if I'm not mis- uh, mistaken, but hopefully we'll get some time off between pay-per-views finally. Yeah, I think it might be three or four weeks. I know it's not until um, I think the 19th. Yeah, Survivor Series is the 19th, which I think is four weeks from Sunday, so here's hoping that's a nice break in between pay-per-views, because if not, it's just one pay-per-view after another. Thankfully, we only have one pay-per-view after that, one in December, which I think is the SmackDown Clash of Champions show, and then none until the Rumble. So we might be in for a good break after Survivor Series. So I'm looking forward to that even more so than TLC this Sunday. And you mentioned TLC this Sunday. Um, I guess we'll start off with that, with the preview. Let me try to see how many. We got seven seven matches in, in total. Um Again, it's called TLC Graham, but there's only one TLC match on the entire card. Um, there's no ladder matches. There's no chairs matches. There's no table matches. Um, and I guess this kind of brings back to what me and you always talk about where, you know, a match, you know, a, a, a gimmick match should not be the name, you know, in, in my opinion, shouldn't, shouldn't, shouldn't be the name of an entire Review Hell in the Cell, Money in the Bank, Chamber, um, TLC Chamber. I might, I might let it slide because it's, it was, you know, in between Rumble and WrestleMania. So I think they have no choice to do that because they they, they got to try to find an opponent or a, a number one contender for for the title on the on the separate brand. But you know, TLC, the, 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 there's only one TLC match. No other stipulations on the card. Before we get to the actual matches, are you surprised that uh, TLC only has one match with a stipulation? A little bit. This would not be the first time the TLC pay per view back in. Uh 2013, only had one TLC match in the main event. But other than that, there were no ladder matches, chairs matches, tables matches. For this show, it's a bit weird. Um, the only exception, I think, with this upcoming event on Sunday is the fact that it's in October and not December. And it's been in December since its inception in 2009. Mm-hmm. So at that point, you have a couple feuds that have been building up over time. You know, like last year. You go back to last year when we talked about that pay-per-view. And that was a great friggin' show because you had AJ Styles and Dean Ambrose in the main event in a TLC match, Miz and Ziggler in a ladder match, all these feuds have been building over the course of a couple months. Right. You look at this card on Sunday, none of these matches have any sort of longevity have been building for months and months and months, with the exception of maybe Finn Balor and Bray Wyatt, but no one could give two craps about that match, and that doesn't even have a stipulation. So uh, I can't stand surprised just because you're not going to put, you know, Cedric Alexander and Rich Swan versus... Uh, whoever they're facing, Brian Kendrick and uh, Jack Gallagher in a ladder match for no reason. So I'm glad they're not doing stipulation matches just for the sake of doing stipulation matches. But it goes back to what we've been saying time and time again. 
that these themed pay-per-views are completely unnecessary. Even the main event, it should be a great main event, no complaints, but it doesn't need to be a TLC match. Now, I know the Shield's first match five years ago was a TLC match, but beyond that, the Shield just back together. Why would this need to be a TLC match? Were they going to go from a TLC match on this show on Sunday to just doing a regular old match at Survivor Series? Like, it doesn't make any sense. It's ass-backwards booking. But uh, it's a little surprising, but I'm kind of glad it's, it's being kept that way for right now. I just think the pay-per-view is being held way too soon in the month of October. Well, Graham, let's get right to it. Um, again, seven matches, only one on the pre-show, which is Sasha Banks and Alicia Fox. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I mean, like like you said, the booking is weird. It's different. Why should you know? Why should I care about um, this match? Because I think majority of the matches on here don't have you know the long storylines or or just got developed just recently. But again, Sasha Banks, Alicia Fox on the pre-show. Um, who do you have going over? You just said it right there. I mean, there's no long-term booking, you know, behind this whatsoever. You look at this match, and the only reason why it's happening is because Sasha Banks eliminated Alicia Fox in the fatal five-way a few weeks ago. Banks beat her on Raw this week, and then Alicia attacked her backstage afterwards. That's it. That's the only reason why this match is happening, and just to get Sasha on the card. And I've been hearing for literally a year now, oh, they're going to turn Sasha heel. They're going to turn Sasha heel. It's like, okay, so when is it going to happen? Because by this point, I'm starting to lose interest. It looked like they were teasing a Bailey Banks split a few weeks ago, even after No Mercy, but they kind of moved away from that. They did this whole thing with Alicia. Could anyone really care less at this point? Alicia Fox has been with the company for close to a decade, and she's never meant any less. The whole crazy character, for me, does nothing. Uh, and I'm sure the match won't be a blockbuster. So I'm glad it's on the kickoff show. Couldn't give two craps, to be honest with you, but obviously Sasha's winning. I would be blown away if Alicia won, but uh, and they already feuded a few weeks, uh, not a few weeks ago, a few months ago too, so it's not like it's anything new either. We just saw this feud literally three or four months ago, right. and it was Alicia Fox and uh, Cedric Alexander versus Noam Dar and Alicia Fox, and uh, uh, yeah, Banks, Banks and Cedric Alexander versus Noam Dar and Alicia Fox, and so, like the Extreme Rolls pay-per-view, so it's not even anything new, but uh, bottom line, I got Banks going over in this match. Um... I, I want to pick Sasha Banks, but I, I think it's like, you know, like you said, what else can they do with Alicia Fox? If, if she does get the victory on Sunday, does that propel her to be in this mix for, for the title or just to be in someone in contention or be to be relevant? Because the more Sasha wins and Alicia loses, then it's like, what, what else can you do with her? So I want to pick Sasha, but if they give it to Fox, um, I'll be kind of cool with that. Um so now we get to the to, to the main card. <sighs> Graham, uh, Alexa Bliss, Mickey James for the Raw Women's Championship. I kind of like the storyline um, with the whole thing. Alexa is making fun of Mickey's uh, age. Uh, Mickey wants to be, I think, a seven-time uh, women's champion. I want to pick Mickey. I like Alexa, but um, I don't think it's time to take the title off of Alexa. But I do want to see Mickey at some point get one more run with the belt. Do you think that run starts on Sunday or do you think Alexa wins over Mickey on Sunday? I think Alexa wins. But even before we get into this match, I do want to say that my reaction to looking at this card is the exact same thing as yours. That it's just a, so oof. I mean, you look at this card, there's really not much to it beyond the main event. I mean, we forgot yeah. to talk about the 
Drew Gulak PowerPoint presentation on the kickoff show. If that doesn't get you excited for a WWE pay-per-view, I don't know what will. I saw someone say that on Twitter. I think it was the Solomonster, and I could not agree more. There's, there's three women's matches on the show, which is good. Right. But beyond the title match, I mean, an Oscar's debuting too, but Banks and Fox really like the cruiserweights. If the cruiserweights have three different segments on a pay-per-view, then you know the roster's wearing a little thin. Either that or they're low on star power with Brock and John Cena gone right now. But anyway, with the women's title match uh, between Alexa and Nikki, I've seen some people say maybe Nikki wins because it wouldn't make too much sense right now for Oscar to debut, go after the championship, beat Alexa, you know, in the matter of one match. To me, it really doesn't matter who uh, Oscar beats. Oscar and Alexa is not money match. The real money match to me is Oscar and Sasha on Raw, or even Oscar and Charlotte in an interpromotional match at WrestleMania. So if Oscar beats her at the Survivor Series pay per view, or at some other point between now and the Royal Rumble, or between now and WrestleMania, that's fine. Oscar's a star. We'll talk about her soon enough. Uh, Nikki getting one, like a one off run would be cool. I think it would have been better if they didn't take the belt off of uh, Alexa at SummerSlam. They kept it on, or, uh, they, you know, they kept it on her and didn't give it to Sasha Banks for like two or three weeks. I would have preferred they had done that with Nikki instead because Banks didn't really need it at that point in time. Um, I don't see that happening here, though. They've given Nikki a lot of momentum, which is good, because she meant nothing before the feud started, and that's all the company's fault. But I'm glad they built her back up to an extent. I still do think Alexa walks away still the champion, though. Now, my question is, uh, you know, you mentioned Asuka, you know, debuting on Sunday. Now they've been doing the promos, the hype. You know, she's still, you know, quote-unquote undefeated. And now when she makes her debut, she gets Emma. And I'm like out of the Sasha's, the Bailey's and everybody else on the roster, you know, Nia Jax. Emma is the first one she gets. Now, you know, are you kind of like excited, one, for Oscar to debut? And two, do you think that she should have debuted against, I guess, a, a more known or bigger opponent where as opposed to Emma, who's... Just like Alicia Fox, who just stuck in the middle, not going anywhere. Do you think Oscar should have went to, you know, Sasha or Bailey, or do you, do you feel like they did not want to do that right out the gate? For me, in my personal opinion, I think Oscar having her face Emma. I think Emma's the perfect opponent for Oscar to debut against, if only because Emma's not exactly an Alicia Fox, where she means more than Alicia, but she does not mean quite as much, if any at all, of course as Bailey or even Sasha Banks, having never won a championship in NXT or in the main roster or whatever. But, you know, she's better than Banks or Dana Brooke because she's a lot better in the ring than them, but she's not a star, you know, she's not a superstar like Sasha Banks or Bailey or whoever else, mm-hmm. or Alexa Bliss. Uh, so I think she's a good opponent for Asuka. I doubt they'll have the same match that they had to take over London a few years ago, which was a great friggin' match, but they don't really... They don't really give Emma competitive matches on the main roster, I'll say that much. So I think this is going to be more of a squash than anything else, or maybe a five-minute squash in favor of Asuka. But I do think having her face Emma from the get-go is a good choice, because she means more than a Fox or a Dana Brooke, but at the same time, they don't want to waste the money match with Bailey or Banks that they can build to door, you know, down, uh, down the line for a championship on the line or something like that. So I do think Emma's a good opponent for her, a first opponent for Asuka, and Asuka will obviously win easily, uh, no questions asked. So there's no chance Emma goes over or, or anything like that. You think Asuka goes in and, you know, just kicks her ass, basically? Pretty much. I mean, <laughs> I'm, I'm excited for Asuka's debut to answer your prior question. 
But I'm also worried, as many other people are. I mean, you look like the, you look at what they've done with guys like Shinsuke Nakamura. Not to say he's been buried, but having him lose twice to Jinder Mahal for the WWE Championship makes absolutely no sense. And when you look at the star power between the two of them, um, so I'm, I mean, I'm not. I don't want to say they're going to do that with Oscar. I think they realize what they have on their hands here. I think the way they built her up via the video packages and whatnot, they realize that she's a superstar and that she could be something really big for them. But they got to know that they can't end that undefeated streak anytime soon. She's been undefeated for over two years, which is almost unprecedented in this company. So they got to keep that going. They got to milk that out for as long as possible, for as much as it's worth, like well past WrestleMania. So having it end anytime soon would just be a mistake. But I do think that she runs through them on Sunday, though. Are you kind of worried that, you know, how they're you know, debuting these NXT people, the Bobby Roods, the Nakamura's, and now Oscar, where they come in with a lot of hype and for what for what they for what they did in NXT, and when they get to the main card, they're just kind of flustering, or they just you know the the, the storylines aren't there. Like for example, now Bobby Roode when NXT, it there's a major difference from him there and the main roster where when he comes out and people love his his his, his uh his theme song, you don't get that same pop nowadays. I'm, I'm probably not the only one that, that, that noticed that, but it's like, for me, Rude should be a heel like he was in NXT. Um, I think they want to build him to becoming a heel um, on SmackDown, but not right away. The pop isn't there. Nakamura debuts on, on SmackDown after WrestleMania, and now he's just stuck in a program with, with gender, and it's like, I guess we don't want the same thing to happen to Oscar, but like when you bring these people up, you gotta have a direction for them. We saw we saw uh, with Bailey months ago where people started to boo her in the crowd. Are you afraid or kind of worried that now with Oscar NXT undefeated women's champion comes up and after this one or two match, they just may not know what to do with her right away. Definitely, especially with the women more so than anyone else, because even the women, it's hard to look at. I mean, Charlotte's been done obviously very well. Banks, they've gone very much back and forth with Bailey's probably the worst of them in terms of how they've handled her since her debut a year ago. Um, but yeah, more often than not, a lot of these NXT call-ups obviously have talent, but they just don't have a solid direction for them when they get called up. They realize that it's time to call them up, but they just don't know what to do with them off the bat. Uh, Bobby Roode, like you said, I'd not to me, he's not damaged goods by any means just yet. Um, I do think he, they, they, why even bother changing anything from NXT to the main roster? Keeping him as a heel was what they should have done. I don't know why they turned him babyface. And he's got a great theme song, and people pop for that. But beyond that, there's nothing more to the character. Uh, and Asuka, I think, again, she's got a great entrance. They know what they have with her, uh, with the undefeated streak and whatnot, and the pop and circumstance surrounding Asuka. But I am worried that they won't know what to do with her. Again, with the women especially, because they're limited. Beyond the championship, there's not much else to do. And they can do secondary feuds. They've done that before on SmackDown about a year ago. But the Raw women especially, it seems like it's all about, you know, Sasha Banks and Alicia Fox. Who cares? But beyond that, it seems like it's all about the title picture. And beyond that, no one else matters. So if Oscar's not going for the championship at any point in time, then I feel like she'll kind of fall to the wayside. Now, I hope at this point she beats Emma on Sunday and then immediately challenges for the championship, because why wouldn't she be champion after being champion in NXT for almost 500 days, for over 500 days? Uh, so I am worried that they won't know what to do with her exactly. 
And guys like Nakamura and Bobby Roode, again, there's still hope for them, but from what we've seen so far, they just they don't know what to do with them, and they're not being as well-booked as they were in NXT. With Bobby Roode, a guy who went undefeated in the brand for literally one year from his in-ring debut up until he left to take over Brooklyn 3, the guy suffered one or two defeats in one-on-one competition. In his first two months in the main roster, he gets beat by Dolph Ziggler on SmackDown. That, to me, says it all right there. So I hope we don't see Asuka losing to uh, Alicia Fox in an episode of Main Event in a few months. I don't think she will, but I do. I, I am a little worrisome in regards to how they're going to handle her going forward. So we both have Asuka winning on Sunday. Um, next matchup, we have Cedric Alexander, Rich Swan versus D. Brian Kendrick, and gentleman Jack Gallagher, uh, Graham. Take it away. Maybe <laughs> uh, faces Cedric Alexander and Rich Swan. I mean, I mean, it's it's a fine feud for anyone who watched Two Hundred Five Live. All ten people out there, myself included. But beyond that, it's it's a match. I doubt they're going to go out there and have a blockbuster. So I expect them to uh, have the baby faces go over. But you know what, Grant? I, I think, and you know, I don't want to speak for everybody, but I think for me. Being a little more interested in the cruiserweight lately because of Enzo, um, I am because of now there's a story behind it. Um, Enzo brings you know that entertainment value, that character that the cruiserweight division needed. Um, so not saying I'm gonna watch every single match, but I'll be more inclined to see what's going on because of, of, of what's going on currently. Um, this match. Doesn't really. I, I I really don't care who wins. It's it's not really for me right now, unless there's, there's a story behind it. So I might just go with Cedric and Rich Swan just because I have no idea. But I want. I do want to get to um, Neville. I have no idea what's going on with Neville. You probably do. Or we both are. You know, in the dark. Um, reports of him quitting or just whatever. Just just leaving. Not not really. Um, you know, wanted to be involved in what in what was going on with the cruiserweight division now with Enzo being involved. Is that storyline based? Is that reality? Is Neville in the company, out the company, or borderline between both? It seems like he's still under contract to the company, but he is on his way out. From what I've heard, he is a hundred percent gone from the company, which which can't Damn. be legitimate because he's still under contract. Right. He can't be a hundred percent gone until he's officially gone, but I think he's in a CM Punk situation where it looks like he's on his way out. I'm not sure if he's going to wait until his contract expires, when that might be. I have no idea. Or they're just going to grant him his release like Austin Aries a few months ago. And it seems like it's a very similar situation to Aries where he wasn't happy with where he was in the division. Uh, being left off the WrestleMania 33 DVD had a lot to do with that. And wow. I can't blame the guy because apparently a lot of the revenue all year comes from that WrestleMania DVD. It's the most bought DVD of the year. And they're not even on it because they were on the kickoff show. Mm-hmm. And they had such a long fucking show, five hours long, they couldn't include the kickoff show, which was kind of ridiculous. And it was a great match, too. It was one of the better matches of the night, and they're not even on it. Yeah. You can see why he was frustrated. Uh, new reports, I mean, you got you got to take all this stuff for what it's worth with a grain of salt. But uh, new reports have come out saying that he's been unhappy since January. So that's right around the time he joined the Cruiserweight division. To me, it doesn't make sense why he would be unhappy now, considering he's been, I mean, I know he's a part of the Cruiserweights, or was a part of the Cruiserweights. But um, he's been doing the best work of his career in 2017, having great matches. He held the championship for the better part of the year. Um, why wasn't he unhappy a year ago when he was losing the fucking Bo Dallas on Raw and he was never even on the show? 
or, you know, two years ago, and they had no idea how to use the guy once he came up from NXT. Like, to me, it seems like, again, that's him. If he's unhappy, he's unhappy. He's going to leave. I don't blame the guy for leaving if he's unhappy. But just to me, the timing doesn't really make too much sense in terms of why or when he would be unhappy, considering he, you know, he's been doing some amazing work throughout the year. And it looked like he was headed to the, the heavyweight division on Raw because there was nothing left for him in the Raw uh, or in the, you know, on 205 Live after dropping the championship to Enzo. Now, if they flat out told him we have no plans for you, you know, to move up to the heavyweight division, then I can understand why he left. But we won't worry until we hear Neville's side of the story at some point. He has yet to comment on anything on Twitter. But unfortunately, it does look like he is 100% gone from the company. And for his sake, he might be better off. If they're going to keep him with the cruiserweights, they, the, the kiss of death, as that division is, beyond Enzo Amore, then he might as well leave and you know reinvent himself the same way that Cody Rhodes did, Drew McIntyre did, by going over to Ring of Honor or New Japan or wherever else to make a name for himself. And maybe we see him back in WWE down the road. Wow. Um, I mean, yeah, I, I, you know, hopefully this is more like a thing where He'll go away for a little bit, come back as a baby as, as a baby face. We have no idea, but if that is indeed true, uh, Neville is a great talent. Should have been on like the main heavyweight scene um, a long time ago, or you know, even the the Intercontinental Championship title reign or U.S. title, something above and beyond the cruiserweight, even a tag team. Uh, w- you know, would have been great for Neville, but if he if he is indeed out the company, what a shame! Because now that seems to be the norm. Him, we heard something about Nia Jax uh, getting a leave of absence. Um, you mentioned Austin Aries. You mentioned Cody Rhodes. Uh, I mean, I hope this this ain't the norm where people just start leaving because if things aren't going their way. Obviously, you know they know more than we do, but uh, it just doesn't make the company look that good when talented people young talented people are either leaving or 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 want to leave but uh remains to be seen on the story of neville since we all talk about the cruiserweight we do have callisto and enzo um for the cruiserweight championship at toc which i I think would have been better if it was at least a ladder match i think would be more entertaining they're both high-flying guys um that could really just be give a very good entertaining match um, well, Enzo ain't that much high flyer. Um, Callisto, Enzo, singles match, cruiserweight championship. Does Callisto reign? Does Callisto's reign continue, or does Enzo get the belt back? Yeah, I think Enzo gets the belt back. Other than booking Callisto, he's won every match since he joined the division, um, including on Raw this week. And I think, or no, they had a segment. I think he might have gotten beaten down or something, but he won the tag team match on 205 Live. It definitely looks like Enzo's getting the belt back. Why would you put the guy on 205 Live, win the championship from the unstoppable champion Neville, and then take the title off of him two weeks later? Like, that to me, I mean, not that it didn't make much sense, because I know they had a, uh, a rhyme to their reason. Like, they had a, you know, there was a method behind the madness there with Kalisto winning the championship on Eddie Guerrero's birthday or whatever the hell else. And now they're going to have him lose the championship right back to Enzo at the TLC pay-per-view. I completely agree. I think this would be better off as a ladder match. That might be disastrous for Enzo. I know he was one in earlier this year at WrestleMania, but that was with, you know, four or five other guys. Uh, so that was a bit different. That was like with five or six, seven other guys. Uh, in this match, it would just be him and Kalista one-on-one. But it is a bit of ass-backwards booking, like I said, where they do the Lumberjack match on Raw, which is much more extreme than a regular old singles match, and that the TLC pay-per-view just out of a standard singles match for the championship. That, to me, doesn't make much sense. 
But anyway, I do see Enzo getting the belt back. Where they go from there, I have no idea. Um, I'm not the biggest Enzo fan, but they really found uh, his niche as a heel currently. I mean, for the last number, I would say for about the past year now, he's been extremely obnoxious, whether he was with Cass on his own. Yeah. So I think having him on his own as a heel is the best booking decision right now because that's uh, what he's best at. Maybe when Cass comes back, you pair him right back with him as a manager or something because I think those two are money together. Maybe as heels, they'll have much more... uh, longevity as a tag team than they ever did as baby faces when WWE messed them up. That's another story for another day. Yeah, I think Enzo regains the belt back. I'm not sure why he lost it in the first place, especially to Callisto. And you know, I you know, the last time I had you on we had the Hell in a Cell preview and um between then and now, you know, Callisto came back, Kurt Angle did the whole, you know, I got a surprise, you know, I just signed the biggest free agent or whatever he said, and a lot of us were thinking, like, somebody from NXT or Rey Mysterio or some other, you know, uh, veteran coming back, and then Callisto comes out, and then everybody in the crowd is like, ah, (laughs) and it's it's just like, like, then then you come back, then you win the belt, then it's like, why take the belt off him in the first place when, when you got something something white hot going on as making making the Cruiserweight division relevant where three or four consecutive Monday Night Raws, your main event is a Cruiserweight segment. And I'm like, Enzo is the reason why that's happening. And you, if you take the belt off of him to Callisto, it... it it's not going to be the same. So I'm hoping Enzo gets the belt back. Um, what they do with Callisto going forward, I have no idea. But I think for now, because Enzo has a character, he has the storyline, he can talk in the microphone. He may not be the greatest wrestler, but we, you know, we've seen in the past, just because you know you're not the greatest wrestler doesn't mean you can't talk talk on the microphone. And I think Enzo is that is that kind of guy. To me, it should it should have been a ladder match. Um, to you know, for it being on a TLC card, but um, do you think Enzo wins like clean or a dirty finish? I think it's a dirty finish. I mean, he's won every match in the cruiserweight division uh, with a dirty finish by either using a low blow or holding on to the tights. So he is a heel now. After all, he was doing that as a baby face. So turning him a heel is the best thing to ever happen, Enzo Amore. Like you said, the guy is putrid in the ring. But on the mic, he's great when he wants to be. He's been cutting some really good promos recently. I like the whole storyline that he's not a real cruiserweight. He doesn't do flippity doo does, but he's holding the championship hostage. And he brings, you know, he brings the division to new heights. Like you said, they closed out like three consecutive episodes of Monday Night Raw, which is unheard of. And that wasn't happening when Rick Swan was the champion or even when Neville was the champion, when no one else was champion but Enzo Amore. Uh, so putting the belt right back on him makes sense. There's other potential people he can defend against, including Rich Swan, Cedric Alexander. There's a lot of talented people in that division. Callisto's great. Um, I, the damage has been done, though. The guy's been here for a few years. And before he you know, joined 205 Live, the guy was barely on Raw. The guy lost like Elias Sampson the week before he joined 205 Live. So why should I give a shit about him? And they've been building him right back up nicely, a lot like with Mickey James. But I think the money's still there with Enzo as champion. All right, so we have this main event, and there's like three, four storylines in this one of one main event. So let, let's break it down. The Shield against Braun Strowman, The Miz, Kane, Cesaro, and Sheamus in a five-on-three handicap tables, ladders, and chairs match. Um, 
part one, the Shield finally re, uh, reunited um, in the last couple of weeks. What was your take on that? How your take on how it was done, and the kind of opponents that's right in front of them? Do you think that they should have reunited and have a better trio to go up against, or do you feel like you know with the way Reigns is, you know where he's at now? Uh, Seth and Dean as tag team champions, it was only a matter of time before these guys got reunited. So, question one: Your thoughts on them being reunited, and two: How they, how they, how they, uh, you know, made it happen? I've been a big fan of the angle. I think the whole way it's been executed has been great. Um, I think the way they slowly put Dean Ambrose and Seth Rollins back together was better. The story they told there, the Shield reunion, was a bit rushed because um, it was told over the course of like just two weeks, but it was still really well done. People pop big for it, and the reactions have been great. And I understand I'm not a sheep. I completely understand that the whole reason they're doing this is to get Roman Reigns cheered ahead of Brock Lesnar's match you know, at WrestleMania with Roman Reigns. I completely understand that, but I couldn't give two shits because the Shield is awesome. We're going to get great matches out of it, and I know the whole purpose is to get Roman cheered, but whatever. It's not going to work anyway. People will go right back to booing Roman Reigns when he's back on his own in time for WrestleMania. I completely understand that, but for right now, the Shield thing I think is great, especially with John Cena being out right now. I think those guys being brought together as the force to be reckoned with on Raw is awesome. Um, in terms of the opponents here, for me personally, I would have preferred just the Bar, Sheamus and Cesaro, versus, and, and Braun Strowman versus the Shield. Um, I think having Miz in there, I know he's been like the focal point of the whole program and taunting the Shield and attacking Roman Reigns. I get that's been the focal point of the whole feud, but the reason this card is lacking, I mean, you look at it on the whole, you have two title matches on a show that there's five championships active. I mean, the Universal Championship is being held hostage by Brock Lesnar. Obviously, that won't be defended, but the tag team champions and the Intercontinental Champion are in this main event, and neither championship is on the line. So I would just take Miz, I mean, it's too late at this point, but I would take Miz out there, have him defend against Jason Jordan, look like they had some unfinished business. Um, and with Kane, I mean, the return, I liked it. I mean, I popped for Kane because we haven't seen him in a long time. I didn't think he'd be, be brought back until his political run had wrapped up, but apparently not. Um, if he's only in the match just so they could, you know, he could take the fall at the hands of the Shield, that's fine. But otherwise, a five-on-three handicap match, I'm not too fond of it. But as long as the Shield wins, I'm okay. Um, if they lose, it's not the end of the world, but... I don't know. I, I'm not really sure where they're going with this. Again, it, it should be a great match, but Strowman's already faced Roman a million times. Uh, he's already faced Rollins and Ambrose. I don't know where you go with Strowman. And uh, with Miz, it looks like he can be doing his own thing. So it's a really random main event. I think the whole point of this is just to get the Shield back together and give them a win. So that's what they're going for here. That's fine. But uh, there's a lot of really random aspects. Like you said, a lot of Several stories being told here with Kane being back and Strowman and Miz and the Bar and the Shield and everyone else. But I do like the Shield being back. I do think they should win here, and I do think they will win here. All right, a few things. Um, I would have preferred, because the way it was looking in the beginning, Shield against Miz, Axel, and Bo Dallas. And to me... You know, when you go on Twitter and say, oh, you know, and people say, oh, the Shield, you know, if, if they're going to come back, they should have come back against the Mr. Raj because that's, you know, that's, you know, beneath them. And I'm like, listen, if that was the only three trio or like somewhat of a stable you had going on at the moment, then, then fine. Put Miz, 
Axel and Bo Dallas against the Shield. Just for, just for now, it's only a TLC pay per view. It's not Royal Rumble. It's not Survivor Series. It's not WrestleMania. It's not SummerSlam. So it's you know it's a a, a level B kind of a show. So what if it's the Miseries? Then Axel is not even in the match. Bo Dallas we haven't seen in like weeks. And then all of a sudden, Strowman gets involved. And then Cesaro and Sheamus. I, I get Cesaro and Sheamus because they're against. Um, they've been feuding with Rollins and Ambrose. I get that. Braun Strowman. I get because he's been feuding with Roman Reigns for like almost a damn year. Now, Kane gets involved, and it's like, all right. Now you're trying to figure out why is Kane involved. Now, obviously, the main, you know, story that people think on Twitter, uh, you know, online is the fact that he's avenging Taker for his loss at WrestleMania against Roman Reigns. Okay, that's cute. That's nice. But it's like, all right, why do we need five on three? And like you said, there's, there's seven matches, and I, I, I forgot one. Um, there's seven matches, and then two title holders are in one match. So you have you have eight people in one match. That, that could have gave you two more matches if you kind of spread things out. But five on three, Braun, Miz, Kane, Cesaro, Sheamus against the Shield. I think we all have the Shield winning. They won't come back and not win. But it's like, what do you do after it? And then especially, you, you have Survivor Series coming up next month. And I'm like, you, 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 you're really having a Survivor Series match at freaking TLC. Yeah, the timing of this is just way off. With the Kane return alone, again, I popped because we hadn't seen him in such a long time, but... There's so many questions, like, why is he on Raw and not SmackDown? Last time we saw him, he was on SmackDown. They didn't even bother to explain that. He's a heel now. He was a babyface the last time we saw him, if anyone remembers that. Um, like you said, they, they could explain the reason why he's targeting Roman Reigns was because, you know, he retired The Undertaker at WrestleMania, or because he has more history with The Shield than anyone else. I mean, he was in The Shield's very first match five years ago at TLC. Right. But you know what? They didn't say that. The commentators didn't fucking say anything. They're just like, "Oh, Kane's back to target the fuel." It's like, okay, but why though? Why should we care about Kane in this match? The last time I saw him, he was like fucking losing Luke Harper on SmackDown. Why should we get a shit about Kane in this match? And the reasons I just listed would be fine, but they didn't say any of that. And they could say it in the kickoff show, but by that point, it's too late. It was just really, really random. And this match would have been fine as four on three. I'm so excited for it. The only match on the show I'm excited for, to be honest with you. But um, it would have been fine with just Strowman, Miz, and the bar. You didn't even have to have Braun Strowman in there to begin with, but the issue they run him with there with, uh, with Strowman is that there was no one else in the show for him to face. They already lost to Lesnar, and there's no one else in the mid-card for him to face because the Shield is all in one match. There was nothing for him to do. So they're in a really weird place right now in the Raw roster where they don't have enough baby faces and heels, and it's, it's, it's beyond bizarre. Um, personally, someone tweeted this out a while ago, I think a great trio that might have made more sense, obviously, before they had Miz interject himself, and I, I do think this is a better match than the Miz Taraj, in my opinion, just because the Miz Taraj would have been squashed in, in five minutes. At least this is a more stacked team to the Shield, a more equal playing field for the Shield than the Miz Taraj, but someone tweeted out a while ago if it was Samoa Joe, um, who I think has been clear to compete after, in, after getting an injury, after suffering an injury a month ago. If it was Samoa Joe and someone like the authors of Pete, who are still down in NXT for right now, but they could be called up any time now, 
and uh, Joe and Arthur's pain would be a nasty-ass stable. Them versus the Shield would be fucking awesome. A lot better than whatever we're getting on Sunday. So I doubt that's even the plan. That was just a fantasy booking scenario. But um, I would prefer to see that in the TLC main event than whatever we're seeing on Sunday. But um, I, I do think, like you said, the Shield should win here in their first match back. But it is weird with, with Survivor Series next month. What do you do there? This is basically Survivor Series come early. So maybe they're doing Raw and SmackDown again. But do you do the Shield and, like, Strowman and Miz teaming up after they already faced each other on this show? It's, I'm not even sure where they're going, and I'm not sure that they know where they're going either. Mm. I don't know, man. They probably do Shield, Jason Jordan, and, like, Matt Hardy <laughs> against Strowman, Miz, Kane, Cesaro. <laughs> and I, I don't know. I, I, you know, it's very... um. You know, you, you, you try to give them the benefit of the doubt of why they're doing this so early. Uh, why five on three in the first place? Why put the shield on TLC? But, uh, you know, I, I guess they they do whatever nowadays where they can put a WrestleMania-type match at, like, no mercy. And, and that's that just the way it is nowadays. But um, not on purpose, but I forgot the, 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 the Finn Balor Bray Wyatt match that is not by by any means the main event, but uh, it, they have it labeled as the Demon versus Sister Abigail. Um, Graham, you know I, I, I'm a big Bray uh, big Bray Wyatt fan. I want him to to, to 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 do well, be a tag champion, be an Intercontinental Champion, be a heavyweight champion, uh, which he did, which he was before WrestleMania last year. But um, I'm kind of like. Borderline eager, anxious to see what this sister Abigail is going to be like. I don't want to come out dressed as sister Abigail and the crowd just shits on it. And it's like, oh, here we go. And then Finn Balor comes out with his, you know, pumpkin face. And then throughout the whole match, the crowd is not really into what they're giving the fans. And um, a very weird storyline. Uh, these two have been going back and forth, I think, even before SummerSlam. Uh, so let's say two, three months. Bray Wyatt has lost to Finn Balor and continues to go at him for some reason. Um, one, is this the final match between Finn Balor and Bray Wyatt? And two, who do you think goes over? And how anxious are you to see this whole Sister Abigail demon storyline play out? be the final match, but I'm not so sure it will be, because I thought it was the final match at SummerSlam. It wasn't. I thought it was the final match at No Mercy. It wasn't. So, I can't say for sure that this will be the end of the feud. It absolutely should be, because it sucked, and just everything about it has been just absolutely abysmal. The matches aren't even that good. I mean, it would be one thing if, you know, all the feuds continuing, but at least they have good matches. They really don't. The No Mercy match was pretty good but only because the SummerSlam match was mediocre at best, and the one on Raw was also very uneventful. So I'm not sure I'm not sure what type of match we're getting on Sunday, but it goes back to what we were saying at the start of the show. With a TLC pay-per-view and a feud that's gone on for literally like three months now, how could you not have a tables match, a chairs match, or a ladder match or something between these two, as opposed to just having them come out and have a Halloween costume contest? Like, I'm not sure what they're supposed to be going for with this, um, if he's just going to come out and drag Bray Wyatt, that is like, wh- where are they going with this? The whole sister Abigail thing again, it's, it piques my interest a little bit, but I think it's the same thing as house of wars, which was better than I thought it would be, but it was still trash and there was no need for it. And they continue to ruin Bray Wyatt with these 
dumb match types and having him lose constantly when it matters most. And I don't think he wins here. I think Finn Balor wins again, as he should. Balor's a way bigger priority than Bray Wyatt at this point and has much more to offer on his own than Wyatt. But this match, it's like, I don't know what the hell they were on when they were, you know, when they were coming up with the concept for this match between Sister Abigail and the Demon. And again, I'm somewhat interested to see it fail almost. Like, it's like they're just setting them up to fail because you're in a live... Like, the House of Horrors thing was a bit different because that was pre-taped, okay? So the crowd can poop on it, but apparently, according to people in the audience that night, they shit all over, but you couldn't hear it because it was all pre-taped for the most part. Um, This will be different because it looks like it's going to be an actual match inside the ring. So, again, not sure what they're going for here. Does not look good. I do not have faith in this company to uh, do something cool like Lucha Underground would do with a concept like this. But Wyatt is all but damaged good to this point, considering how they've been booking him and building him, only to lose at every single turn. Uh, Balor needs to get the hell away from Bray Wyatt as soon as possible. I do think this ends with a win for Balor on Sunday. And hopefully from there he goes on to contend for the Universal Championship. Um, Apparently not a Survivor Series, because we're getting Brock Lesnar and Jinder Mahal. Yay, but uh, maybe the Royal Rumble down the road. Before we get to Brock and Jinder real quick, uh, I, I think, you know, the Finn Balor, the Demon, he beat Bray Wyatt, right? Sister Abigail, I think is going to, you know, Sister Bray or whatever you want to call it, I think he wins on, on Sunday. And then I think, you know, I correct me if I'm wrong before I go forward, but that'll make them 1-1, right? Now they're currently it's like 2-1. Oh, God. Uh, Balor's beaten him twice. He beat him at SummerSlam and he beat him at No Mercy, but Wyatt also owns a victory over Balor from the Raw before SummerSlam. So if Wyatt wins on Sunday, then it's 2-2. Oh, then great. Then Sister Abigail's going to win on Sunday, and they're going to have one final blow-off match at Survivor Series with a weird stipulation. They might have a freaking Inferno match for all we know. I think <laughs> I think, I think, think Bray needs to win. I, I, I don't know because I, I'm worry that if he loses it's like what else do you have for him he can't beat nobody you won't let him beat anybody so he'll do his promos which are great and phenomenal sometimes not but if it if he doesn't win against balor uh on sunday then it's like what else do you have for him you took him from smackdown you put him on raw he haven't really done anything with him he hasn't won any titles on raw he hasn't been in any title contention. He, he, there's no championship matches he, he's been involved in. So it was like, what do you do? The, the, you know, that's the bottom line with Bray. Bray, sister, whatever. I think he should win on Sunday. Um, and then how they go forward from there to have one final blow off at Survivor Series in a very cool stipulation kind of match. Um, but if Balor wins, then I really don't know what they do with Bray. To me, though, they're already at that point with Bray Wyatt. It's not like if he loses here, then he's done for good. To me, here he is done for good. I'm not sure what they need to do with him in order to rejuvenate his career. I don't know if that includes turning him babyface. I feel like we're long past that point. But he's already at that point. I mean, I know he was in a WrestleMania main event with Randy Orton for WWE Championship, but he lost that match. And he goes on to lose to this guy, and then to that guy, and then he doesn't do anything, and no one cares about him. It's like, I don't even know... Even if he wins here, what do you do with him? Because he's already lost the Roman Reigns a bunch of times. He's feuded with Seth. He's feuded with Dean Ambrose. He's now lost to uh, Finn Balor a few times. 
he's lost every baby face on Raw. Um, and like you said, I think putting him on Raw also didn't help. And on SmackDown around this time a year ago, the stuff with the Wyatt family I thought was great. Then Luke Harper and Randy Orton as a trio I thought was fucking awesome. But then they had to go on a row nap by having Orton turn on the Wyatt family and Luke Harper break off from him. Now they're doing the whole damn Bludgeon Brothers or whatever the hell it is on SmackDown. Breaking up the Wyatt family was the absolute dumbest thing they could have done. And Strowman is obviously doing well for himself on his own. But Luke Harper and Eric Rowan, they have no idea what to do with. Uh, they should just put Bray on SmackDown or those guys on Raw and just reunite them as a trio. Because as of right now, separately as, as different you know entities at the moment, they're not getting anything done. So with Wyatt, I don't know what, they're, what, what they've done with him beyond just ruining him. Um, but I don't think a win here is going to help rebuild him because he beat Seth clean at Great Balls of Fire a few months ago, and that did nothing to help his cause. So I think he just got, has to go away for a little while because as of right now, I, I think it's very hard to care about the Bray Wyatt character. Now, real quick, do you think that they do some kind of um, weird stuff in this match like what they did with Bray and Randy at WrestleMania? Yeah, I was going to say, uh, when we were talking about like goofy gimmick matches before, I, I, that was the first thing that came to my mind where they had the uh, the pictures of the snakes and all that other, you know, the worms and all that other shit. Yeah. Uh, I do think they do that again here. And some people like the effects. I mean, the, the special effects are cool. But in a match like that, it ruined it for me. It was total trash. I feel like they're going to do the same thing here where they did the whole spooky effects thing and no one is scared by it. Um, so, but I do feel like we will see that on Sunday, absolutely. You know what? Finn Balor against Bray Wyatt is the perfect Halloween Havoc match to me. It really is. It should and be. Halloween's on a Tuesday this year, so they could bring that back for snack, and I've said that before. But uh, Did you see they're selling the Halloween Havoc t-shirt now in WWE Shop? No, I did not. No. It actually looks really fucking cool. I would actually buy that. So, But they are selling the Halloween Havoc now in WWE Shop. Then I, get, I guess I got to check that out. Um... <laughs> Real quick, you mentioned uh, Brock and Gender. Gender goes on SmackDown, uh, challenging Brock to a match at Survivor Series. I'm, I'm taking it as just a regular one-on-one match. This ain't no title for title. Um, what do you think about that? Gender against Brock Lesnar at Survivor Series, hopefully. Awful. Awful. I mean, I could not care less. I don't think I'm in the minority there either. Just, man, I, I don't know. I don't know what they're trying to go for here. It's a lose-lose. That's the issue here. Like, if they were going to do Team Mahal versus Team Lesnar, that's even not all that exciting to me, but at least it's something like they did last year. A one-on-one world title match should feel a lot bigger than how Jinder versus Brock feels on paper. And it's not like Jinder hasn't lost before either. The guy lost to Randy Orton in a random TV match a few months ago. So it's not like even he's unstoppable. And if they have Jinder win, it's a complete waste of Brock Lesnar. They have to have Brock win. And if they have Brock win, it makes Jinder look like a loser. And it makes SmackDown, it solidifies SmackDown as the B-show. So they got a couple different issues here. Um, and now, even on paper, it doesn't sound interesting. It doesn't sound exciting. And the in-ring product itself is probably going to be trash. Because Brock's matches, a lot. I mean, Brock's had some pretty good matches this year. I shouldn't say that, but... Um, Mahal is the one I was talking about with Mahal that he has yet to have a single exciting match on pay-per-view and I don't think a match with Brock Lesnar is going to be the answer I don't think a match with Brock Lesnar will be any different and they might exceed expectations but as of right now my excitement level for a Mahal versus Brock match after we got Goldberg and Brock last year is at an all-time low because I'm not sure um, who that even benefits to be honest with you 
How long do you think Jinder holds the belt for? At this point, it's got to be till the Rumble. Um, I'm not sure when they're touring India. They had said on SmackDown this week that it's going to be in early December. But um, they do have a pay-per-view in mid-December in, in Boston, the Clash of Champions pay-per-view. But I don't think they would take the championship off of him then. It looks like AJ is going to be next in line to take the championship or get a shot at the title. I don't think he'll win it. He should. I don't think he will. Um, but I guess it would be kind of cool if on, at the Royal Rumble. I mean, at this point, they, they, they should have had him drop it at SummerSlam to Nakamura. They didn't do that, whatever. But um, at this point, they might as well just keep it on until the Rumble. And I hate to even say this because I don't want to endure another day of Jinder Mahal as WWE champion, but I guess it would be fitting if they, held, if they had him hold the championship till the Rumble, and there they have him drop it to AJ Styles. Now, it was at the Rumble last year that AJ Styles lost the WWE championship, and he hasn't won it since. So it would be, cool, be, it would be a cool story to tell to go full circle by having him win the championship there. And also the same pay-per-view he debuted at two years ago, and then on that same night, Nakamura wins the Rumble, and then he styles a Nakamura at WrestleMania. Now, the chances of that happening are slim to none, but that's what I would do because I do not want to see a WrestleMania main event with Jinder Mahal as the WWE champion. That would just be the absolute worst, and I hope we do not even get to that point. Two more quick things, Graham, before I let you go. Um, big thing on SmackDown, Sami Zayn is now a heel, tagging up with Kevin Owens, making Kevin Owens wins, uh, making Kevin Owens win that Hell in a Cell match against Shane McMahon. Um your, your, I guess your thoughts on the on the current dynamic between Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens right now? I think it's awesome. Some people have said that Sami is better as a heel than he was as a babyface, and that they're not wrong, which is crazy because the guy is one of the best babyfaces they have, but took a risk in turning him heel. And so far, it's only been two weeks, mind you, but it's been all so far. The chemistry they have together is fucking great. Uh, it was a really good main event on SmackDown this week with them against Nakamura and Orton and Sami Zayn winning clean. And it's going to take more than that to um, to rebuild Sami Zayn into a credible threat. This is the same guy who just lost to Aiden English on SmackDown not too long ago. So they need to start rebuilding Sami up as a credible threat in the main event scene. But so far, so good with Sami and Owens. I'm not sure where they're going with it, but it would be cool if they kind of they kind of followed the same formula that Orton and Wyatt did, where Zayn instead of Owens turning on him, Zayn turns on Owens first, and we get a uh, Sami Owens match. It, not only a WrestleMania, but for a world championship between Sammy and Owens after Owens said, you'll never win a championship here in the company. It would be fitting if Owens was the one that Sammy beat to win that title. So that's just fantasy booking, but so far I'm liking what I've been seeing from most of Now the final part I got uh, today, last week, Hall of Famer Ric Flair says that if it were, if it were up to him or his opinion on wrestling's Mount Rushmore, which – you know, on, on Twitter and everywhere else was uh, a lot of responses. He put himself, Stone Cold, The Rock, and Hulk Hogan as the Mount Rushmore of wrestling. And, and, I, and I think people, you could agree, you could disagree, you can make the case for a lot of other guys depending on, on who you like and what you look for as far as popularity, pop culture, um, the actual in-ring talent. People like Cena, Brett, Sean, Taker, Triple H. You know, you could put whoever you want, even the older guys like Bruno and Andre. But he said himself, Stone Cold, The Rock, and Hulk Hogan as the wrestling's Mount Rushmore. Um, how much of that do you agree with Ric Flair and disagree? And outside of those four, who makes the strongest case to be up there? So 
if you were saying wrestling Mount Rushmore, then I do agree with that. And there's a big discrepancy there, because Ric Flair did not have the most stellar career in WWE. He was only a one-time world champion for a few months. I mean, the guy's a legend, obviously, but he was never like a perennial main eventer in WWE. He was long past his prime when he joined the company in 2001 or 2002 full-time after he had that brief stint 10 years before that. So, But if he's talking about wrestling Mount Rushmore, then he's absolutely on there. Um, for WWE, I mean, it's hard to say. Like, are we including, you know, all time? Are we talking modern era? Like, to me, the two wrestling Mount Rushmores that I would put on there, for WWE, I'm only going to speak for WWE here. Like, you can include Sting if it's wrestling in general or, you know, uh, other companies, whatever. But for me, WWE, I would put Cena, Hogan. And Hogan's a staple no matter what. If, you're, if Hogan's not on your Mount Rushmore, then I don't know what kind of wrestling fan you are. But Hogan has to be on there no matter what. So Hogan, Cena, mm. Stone Cold, and uh, either The Rock or Sam Martino. Because Sam Martino kind of kicked off the company's you know, early beginnings in the 1960s and 70s and whatnot. So that, that's who would be on my Mount Rushmore, but he's also interchangeable with The Rock, so I could see that. I could see if people put The Undertaker on there because he's had a longer career than anyone else, uh, probably more so than any of the other people I just said combined. So I could see him being on there. Shawn Michaels, like you said, on a wrestling Mount Rushmore, maybe, or even Bret Hart. But a WWE Mount Rushmore for me, and this is a, you know, an ever-asked question amongst the wrestling community, but for me, it would be Hogan, Cena, Stone Cold, and Bruno San Martino, and or maybe The Rock. Um, yeah, I, I guess people, you know, if you're going by, like, talent in the ring technical, then you everybody's going to have a way different Mount Rushmore. That, that, that Mount Rushmore of in-ring talent, uh, technical guys are like Brett, Sean, Kurt Angle, and Benoit. I mean, you know, Malenko, those kind of guys, Jericho could be on that Mount Rushmore. But I guess when you, when you, I, I think you take the whole package of how entertaining you are, um, how big were you in pop culture, TV shows, movies, um, the kind of impact you had in your era. So when Stone Cold is on there, he's on there because he was in the beginning of the, of the whole Attitude Era and... Without him, that company may, may go down the drain. They, they, they needed a guy to really, you know, boost sales and get the ratings. And without him and his talent and him being able to talk on the microphone and him being a, a different character um, in the mid-90s that, you know, going against your boss and just being that rebel kind of guy. And that was society back then in the mid-90s. So, um, to me, Stone Cold is on there. The, the Rock, it, it, I think... The Rock can't be on there without Stone Cold. Stone Cold can't be on there without The Rock. I think they go, they go, they they intertwine with each other. Um, Ric Flair is an, uh, 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 a a showman beyond belief. Even back in the whole NWA, WCW, holding holding those companies down. Um, and again, Hogan. Like, there's no way you can leave Hulk Hogan off, whether you like him or not. He's a guy that really made wrestling, made wrestling uh, relevant, made WrestleMania relevant. There's no any of that without him and, of course, McMahon. Um, then at a point where you thought Hogan was done, he's finished, he's washed up, this guy in the mid-'90s where you have your Brett, your Shawns, your Diesels, your Razors, your Takers, those kind of guys um, wrestling, and then you, Hulk Hogan's still around. Then he goes to WCW and makes them relevant. He reinvents himself with the whole NWO thing, becomes the biggest heel ever um, in, in wrestling, and he 
gives himself five more years of shelf life in wrestling that still in the late 90s, yeah, you have Stone Cold, DX, and all them guys, but hey, on the other channel, you still got Hogan, Macho, Ric Flair, Sting, and I think without him going over there, those guys don't go to WCW. Those guys don't make that transition. So I think it's only a matter of opinion, who you like, don't like, what kind of wrestling do you you know, do you like or are into. But when Ric Flair says himself, Hogan, Rock, and Stone Cold, I think it's very, very difficult to disagree with that unless you're a big-time Brett, Sean, Taker kind of guy. But I, you know, I don't think there's much to disagree with him. No, I don't think so either. I mean, Ric Flair being on there himself, putting himself on there, I could see being a bit controversial. But um, I, I would agree with that. <laughs> yeah. if he's talking about a wrestling Mount Rushmore. But it's a little right in there with the Hogan discussion that he not only saved the one company in the 80s by becoming WWE champion and really carrying the WWE himself. I mean, there were a lot of big stars at that point, the Ultimate Warrior, Randy Savage, but no one carried that company more than Hulk Hogan did. Not only did he save the WWE, like you said, he saved WCW as well. Right before they were about to go down, he comes in, revolutionizes the game uh, by turning heel, forming the NWO, and kind of kicking off a new Shades of Grey character that we talked about many months ago on the anniversary of the NWO's debut. Um, so for that alone, Hogan needs to be under Mount Rushmore, no questions asked. The rest of it is very debatable. It's all subjective, but you can't really go wrong with John Cena, Hogan, Sam Martino, Rock, Stone Cold, Flair, Michaels, Undertaker, and the like. Hey, man, I, I think it's, it, it's always a great discussion for that. Everybody's going to have their own opinion. They're entitled to, to, to their own opinion, depending on what era they grew up in. So someone someone right now may put John Cena and may, may have never seen Hulk Hogan wrestle or, or, or even Macho Man or, the, or Stone Cold, The Rock. So, hey, I think, it's, I think what's good is that you have a lot to pick from. It's not like, oh, these four guys and, and that's it. You have a lot of performers out there who did it for so long um, that could be in around. And if you do a Mount Rushmore of errors, that could be, you know, that could be one thing. But to do an entire wrestling uh, era of Mount Rushmore, that could be very tough. But I think Riffled, I think Riffled got it himself. Stone Cold, The Rock, Hogan, very tough to, to disagree with. But um, hopefully we have more of those kind of discussions on social media within, within the whole wrestling community and even on the show. But Graham... Always great having you on. TLC preview. Hope you enjoyed it. Uh, the, the the show on Sunday. Uh, he's on Twitter at WrestleRant, the host of WrestleRant Radio. Does great work for, for Bleacher Report as well. Grandma, man, thank you. Randy, thank you. Always enjoy being on the show, and I'll talk to you soon. Dude. I'll catch you another round. All right, man. Take it easy. All right, you too. Adios. All right.